Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wildspeeds Live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in to the call. Ten stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour on this 21st of February. Uh, Let's get straight into it. These two always have a lot of good stuff to say. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. How are you, Scott? You keep you on top of the earnings tsunami? Mate, it's always fun, isn't it? You kind of half half me wants to complain, the other half me loves it because this is the time twice a year we get a chance to have a look at what's going on, mate. Yep. And kind of, you know, it's, it's a fascinating time. We'll talk about this a little bit as we go through the program, I'm sure. But I've said before to you and, and to Mark and our viewers, not just fiscal year 2019 that we had a clean year of earnings. So the job of the analyst is always not, not straightforward. You're trying to look into the future and guess what might happen next. But when they had the last well, three and a half odd years of just yep. really strange COVID impacts, um, fascinating to see how businesses are responding trying to work out where there's value there, what, what yep. COVID impacts are going, coming and going to hang around. Yeah, it's truth or dare time. Uh, is yes. that Mark Morland from Team Invest? Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You don't focus too much on the earnings, but oh, it, it well, affects... No, we, we do. It affects your we're filter. Any, we're, only inter- inter- we're only interested in the earnings of the companies we're interested in. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. about the market. Right. And it's right. like, it's like uh, I mean, it, one of the good things about that is that I don't have such a big task. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're we're interested in about probably sixty companies. Right. That's okay. it. The okay. other two thousand two hundred, forget it. And the ones you've reported so far. Oh, yeah. Are you actually, happy? ours have been uniformly good. Oh, good. Uh, there's been one. Uh, Kdan was a bit disappointing, although we were expecting them to be. But that was one of our uh, companies. But no, generally they've all been very strong. And in fact, it's interesting because if you look at retail, um, how strong they've been. Yeah. Uh, when all the commentary late last year and so on was all doom and gloom and we're yep. you know, recession and interest rates and retail yep. is going to be bad. And what do they do? Well, come out with record profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it just shows you how... But their, guidance, their guidance is a bit soft though. Yeah, yeah, sure. But <laughs> that's true. But the good news about it, of course, is that the good retailers, I'm talking not yes. retail generally, no, no, the good the ones. JBI yeah, yeah, yeah. So JB is an example. Uh, are on very low PEs. I think JB yeah. Harpa is on seven or something like that. It's absurd. Oh, wow. And their average earnings growth has been 15% compound. Yeah, yeah. So okay. even if it is soft. So right. opportunities. All right. Um, this half hour, we're going to talk about bubs. This is what you want us to cover. AI Media, Coles, Stockland, G8 Education. I'm going to do two stocks of the day because it's earnings season. First, big Australian market leader, biggest weighting in the... Uh, in the ASX, um, in the indexes, uh, pay a 90 cent US a share interim dividend after booking half year net profit, uh, almost six and a half billion US dollars, 24% lower than the previous year, back of lower iron ore prices. Uh, BHP says it booked an underlying net profit of $6.6 billion. Macquarie's, uh, Macquarie says BHP's result was solid with underlying earnings within 1% of its forecast. Um, down to around 2% today. Scott, what did you think of the result and BHP shares at these levels? 
Yeah, Koshi, it, it's a really difficult one. Um, it, well, it's, it's not, not hard to see BHP's earnings coming down the pike, right? Because we know the prices. We generally know the volumes. They put our production reports. We know commodity prices. So you kind of, you know, it, it's kind of almost basic arithmetic at some level. It's why the market's rarely surprised. By the time you get to the actual earnings, they've done guidance. We know the volumes. We know the, 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 uh, the prices. So this is kind of, you end up where you end up. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised the market was so... Uh, disappointed given the share price movement today just because again none of this should have been new news and in fact as you've already mentioned they came in you know almost bang on analyst expectations so in that environment you think well what's what's going wrong um it seems to me even though they did reaffirm guidance maybe the market was expecting more we're left to try and guess and wonder why the market might dislike it also news they're selling off a couple of coal mines yep. this is fascinating for uh, investors who are trying to read the tea leaves here because they've got out of the oil business they're selling their, I think they own half of two coal mines in, I think it's Queensland with Mitsubishi. Um, they're going to sell those. They say they're moving forward to future-looking commodities. Whether that's a purely economic decision, whether there's some ESG in there, really hard to know specifically, maybe just straight out governance or, or, or just you know uncertainty when it comes to policy. Uh, but, but hard to really read between the lines of exactly why they're doing what they're doing. What they say is always one thing, whether that's the, the whole truth is an open question. It's not expensive at the moment, mate. It's uh, still under 10 times earnings for BHP if those levels of earnings can be maintained. And I guess, as you know, I'm going to say about commodity companies, yep. you've got to work out whether you think the commodity prices themselves are maintainable, sustainable at the current levels. If they go lower, those PEs can look expensive. If they go higher, the PEs look pretty cheap. It doesn't look expensive to me right now. I'm not a buyer, but I wouldn't rush out and sell it if you owned it for the reasons you probably owned it for. I've said before, if you wanted commodity exposure, I don't think you need it, by the way. But if you did want it, I'd put the old band back together. I'd grab BHP and South32. That gives you really nice diversification across a whole yeah. lot of commodities. Um, that's probably the cheats way of doing it because if you are going to do it, you probably have a view on iron or copper or coal or gold or something else. Uh, but for me, again, I wouldn't do it. I haven't got any... Uh, I've got Fortescue in my portfolio for a different reason. But if you wanted minerals exposure, commodities exposure, I guess, uh, you know, it, it, they don't come much better quality-wise than yeah. the Australian, uh, but they're not cheap enough to buy from Okay. Them. Mark? Uh, well... A couple of things. Just adding to uh, Scott, Scott's uh, comments, the, the problem, of course, is the uh, commodity price uh, situation going forward. So BHP yeah. and Rio you know, and Fortescue, they've all been doing really, really well, um, as have Whitehaven and Coal. Everybody yeah. in those spaces have been doing well. So, and that's why, and the market's reasonably intelligent about this because the PE is very low because they're, the assumption is that down the road, the commodity prices mm. will be lower because that's what happens. You know, the, when uh, supply and demand is out mm. of whack, they do well. Uh, the big question, of course, is China and what China does now going forward. Now, they've opened up and so on. Are they going to continue consuming steel and importing our iron at the same rates they did before? I have no idea. If they do, then BHP is cheap. Yep. If they don't and the prices come right off, then it won't be. Uh, we don't like BHP. Uh, historically, they've been hopeless uh, capital managers. Right. And they typically invest at the top of the market, yeah. uh, usually, and pay top dollar. Uh, for things. I remember, I think I've told that story yes. with Chris Ellison yep. before from Min, who said, when BHP come knocking at the door, that'll be the time to sell the lithium assets because <laughs> he says their genius is at picking the top of the market. Right. That's what right. he said. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so, no, no interest at all. But obviously, right. it's paying a good dividend and uh, it's widely held. Yeah. And it's There's a, worse companies out there. I'm not saying it's yeah, a bad yeah. company, <laughs> it's just that we don't. And it's don't really like, at the top of their five year range. That's what I mean. Top, it's a, does it get any better than this? No. Probably, yeah, yeah. probably not. Okay. Uh, the other one um, I was interested in today to, to get the guys' view on, John's Ling Group uh, has rocketed to its highest level. Look at that, up 16% today, forecasting 11% revenue upgrade. 
Uh, 5.5% EBITDA upgrade on the back of strong earnings. Of course, John Ling is the builder that works for insurance companies. So they do rectification of uh, insurance claims. They says uh, the earnings upgrade was driven by record volumes of business and also revealed its FY23 outlook, expecting a 5.5% jump on the August 2022 forecast. Um, uh, Mark, what do you think of John Slim? Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting business. It's only got five years history, which yeah. is a bit on the light end of things. Yeah. Um, and the earnings growth has been uh, about 23% compound since it uh, listed, which is great, but it's yeah. off a zero base. Yeah. So okay. that's only five years. So uh, it's been on a, it's, it's had a lofty PE. I mean, the first year it listed, it was on 29 high and 21 low. And last year it was 90 high and 45 low, and it's currently at 53. This is a very, right. very high PE for a builder. Mm. Uh, also on the fact, if you look at their, um, uh, their, uh, the size of the business, they only make about 25 million on, on 895 million in uh, revenue. So right. it's, not, it's not a very substantial business and the net profit margin is only 2.8 and that's come down uh, up to 222. I don't have today's uh, right. numbers in yet. Yeah. So, and the other problem with it is it sort of passes all our filters except for our uh, return on equity and uh, return on capital, which are both sub 10%. Right. That long term is really a speed limit on what your returns can, can be at a, an equivalent PE. So if I look out five years, if, if a Jane, uh, John's Ling's only got a 7.7% return on capital, I really can't get it better than a 7% return right. uh, at, the, at the same PE. So there's been PE expansion in this as well, which is what's right. making it look so good. Right. Um, but it doesn't pass our filters so on that. So we wouldn't be interested in it. The 53 PE at the moment, I think is way too high. That's, it's still showing a 6% return on a margin of safety and 9-10 on a default PE over the next five years. But that default PE is assuming, sorry, that default return is assuming the PE is going to be up at the same sort of level in right. five years, okay. which is, I think, pretty heroic. Okay. Um, Scott, because the sort of the thematic, the story behind John's Ling is when there's yeah. disasters, it benefits more than anybody else. Does, does that hold? Uh, yeah, look, it generally does because they've made. Uh, look, whenever you see a change in industry, when you see an industry consolidating or taking a different path, you want to start paying attention. John's Ling, you know, the, the, the insurers now are using a whole range of subcontractors to basically do the work. You think about the insurance, the, the line of work between the, the actual underwriter, the insurer, the brand owned by the insurer, the subcontractor who does the work. Um, you know, that value chain is really worth understanding. And there has been a massive consolidation in the need or the desire. Um, the opportunity for those insurers to basically bundle up this work and say, I'm not going to try and find a subby in every different suburban town across the country. I'm going to subcontract to some of these guys to do some work. Now, I know this firsthand. Now, we're not using John's Ling, but we got a subcontracted uh, construction business trying to fix our flooding from, believe it or not, earlier this year still hasn't been fixed, such as the backlog. That's the, yeah. that's the opportunity, I think, the way this industry is consolidating. And John's Ling, it, that story is exactly that, right? These guys have uh, doubled sales and more than doubled earnings over the past four years, which is extraordinary growth. They've done it basically because they've become more relevant to those insurers. It's not like there's been you know, twice as many uh, insurance claims to deal with or twice as much work per se. It's they've actually made themselves more useful to those insurers. And if you can start to be part of that value chain, there's real upside. Now, that is the upside for this company. A couple of guys at The Fool really like John's link. Um, I tend to be a little more agnostic, I have to say. Mark's point about the really low margins and the short history is well worth considering. There has been, of course, a lot of natural disasters very recently. If that is the new normal, climate change and everything else, then maybe these guys are off to the races for years and years. If it is just a case of they're growing because 
they're taking their place in that value chain and eventually that then falls back to GDP like growth then to Mark's point, you don't want to be paying these sort of PEs for this sort of business. It's a low-margin construction business. These are not good quality businesses, generally speaking. Yep. It doesn't mean you can't make money. As that secular change happens, as the insurers use more of these super-large subbies, and I guess super-large in the context of the industry, it's not a massive business, but in the context of the work they do, there is real upside potential for John's Link. So I wouldn't throw it away, mate. The results today are very, very good and come on the back of, as I said, four years of really strong growth. So uh, if you like it, you understand the business well enough, you understand the industry well enough, I wouldn't necessarily run away from this one. To Mark's point, P of 36 currently, if they double profits, P is still at 18 times, which is you know market leading yeah. uh, in terms of uh, above average. So you want to be a little bit careful there. Um, again, a couple of guys in the full really like John's link, so I'm hesitant to say you should sell it. I'm going to go straight to the middle, mate, call it a hold. Okay. I wouldn't buy it at the moment. I just I, I Basically because I'm not sure how much, for how much longer this level of growth can continue. If it's five years, seven years, you're probably sweet. If it's yep. two or three years, you probably get left holding a, a sub, sub, sub part return. Okay. All right. Let's get into the stocks that uh, you want us to run the ruler over. And Scott, Peter wants a view on Bubs Australia, the, uh, the infant formula group. Um, difference between it and A2 is its infant formula is goat milk, is uh, non-dairy. We had A2 report just the other day as well. Uh, what do you think mm. of Bubs? I'm not a big fan of Bubs, Koshi, I have to say. You know, when, when speaking of innovations and, and change to industries, we had at one point eight or nine different buy now, pay later companies that's on the ASX. And we've got, we had at one point, got three or four different infant formula makers when that became the big thing to do. These things tend not to work out so well. There were 1,500 car companies in the US in the early 1900s, right? These, these kind of things, they, they spur innovation. And then companies fall by the wayside, they merge, they get taken over, different things happen, and, and the result is the result. Bubs has done a pretty good job of, of building itself from nothing and taking advantage of some fantastic tailwinds, right? If, if it's raining, grab a bucket, as Warren Buffett would say. So, you know, they've done a wonderful job of being there, making some money, uh, doing pretty well as an organization. But I say making money, they haven't made a profit yet. So this is the, this is the key challenge is you look at an industry that's growing and you say, man, infant formula, massive. Sales to China, massive. Until they're not. Now, there's yeah. been a couple of recent issues with sales to China. We all know the challenge we've had getting Australian products into China over the past few years. That might be about to change, fingers crossed, for a whole lot of companies, maybe including Bubs. They've also had some changes in their private label business. So their branded business is growing, but their total business is flat because they've lost a whole lot of private label contracts. Now, that you know, if you're in a, in a, a growing business that relies on throughput for the factory, losing some of that private label business can really take a massive chunk out of your bottom right. line. Not because it's profitable in and of itself, but it pays for overhead recovery. So think yeah. about keeping the lights on at the factory, the, so, the staff, all that kind of stuff. That's gone by the wayside recently. And so on one hand, if you want to paint the positive picture for Bubs, you're going to say, okay, market might be about to reopen to China. There might be another opportunity for growth potentially in this space. They are um, potentially, the, the brand business is growing really strongly. So when they get back over the hurdle of kind of catching up with that lost private label volume, all of a sudden, you're off to the races again. So mm. if it was to go through an inflection point in the next 18 to 24 months, I wouldn't be at all surprised. But if it doesn't, if it continues to lose that private label volume and it continues to be unprofitable, you ask yourself, what price do you pay for an unprofitable business unless there's really strong growth likely to turn that into profit and good amounts of profit? It's a very hard case to make. Okay. If I own the shares now, I would sell them personally. I think I would buy them back if and when uh, they're able to turn that loss into profit. Or you can see a clear path back yeah. to profitability. But I just want to keep on the watch list because those things can happen just because of the company's own growth or particularly if they're able to reopen a door to China and get significant volumes there. 
the company that really, you don't even have to have a big share of China, right? It's tiny market share in China yeah. is enough to make a small business like Bub's, you know, shareholders very, very, very wealthy. So keep an eye on it. Um, it's one that has a business. There is yeah. revenue, there is demand, there is, a, there is a brand there, but not at this price. Right. Sell here, but keep it on your watch list. Mark, what do you reckon? Yes, five, yep. five year low on the share price oh, for but, a reason. But it's, it's got a nine year history of losing money. So I yeah. mean, it's been a, yep. it's really performed consistently. Yep. And that's what you've got to look at. And now the, the, what Scott was saying was all true. Yeah, maybe, might this, that might happen. China might, 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 might. You go, yeah. well, why would you bother? Yeah. yeah, we've got lots of really good retailers in, in Australia. I mean, even A2 Milk is, yeah. is, is bare, at least it's profitable. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but these guys, They've never made a cent, from what I can see. So, and the earnings dropped dramatically, and the losses increased massively from 2016 all the way up to 19. Then they had, then they had a bump, and then it was down, and then it was up. The stability's all over the shop. There's no way I could even look at this intelligently and say, I think you should buy it because it's going to come back. It would never clue. So, and, uh, you know. And they really haven't capitalized on the US opportunity either. No. Remember. They've always know, had a good story. Yeah, Joe Biden said they were going to be the saviour and they shipped it over because the biggest producer of infant formula in the US had a, uh, um, a, a health right. issue. That's right. They got, uh, they got, they got banned, uh, basically. Yeah, uh, got closed. But so we've had these catalysts, if you yeah. like, but none of them have turned, turned into being into a profitable business. Yeah. If it's not a profitable business, okay. as an investor, why am I interested? Unless, yeah. And if I'm a speculator, mm. there's more exciting speculations than this. Okay. All right. Um, Simon wants a view, uh, Mark, on AI media. This is uh, fascinating business. Uh, they do all the all the captioning and transcription, subtitles, translations um, for a lot of the uh, lot of the media groups. Um, operations here, New Zealand, uh, Canada, the US. Yeah. Um, what do you think of AI? Uh, well, it's in a it's in a trendy area. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but right. it, but it's, it's also in a dangerous area in that. AI is now, you know, the flavor of the month and it's it's advancing so quickly, you know, which yeah. mean chat GPT's obviously got things going. And big the big time. boys are in it. And the, everybody's in it. And we had um, yeah. we had brain chip yes. on the call yesterday. Oh, really? A similar thing, a similar yeah. Yeah. sort of thematic AI yeah. but hasn't moved. Okay. <laughs> no, so so the the problem with that is like if you look at the internet when we had internet two, yeah. uh, there was all these companies that had great stories. And remember then we had the dot-com crash in yes. 99 where we had a clean out of all the ones that had stories and no income, <laughs> no revenue, yep. and we were left with Google, Amazon, Apple. Yep. So it takes time for these markets to develop. And it's very difficult, I believe, to invest in them intelligently early yep. uh, because you just don't know, you know who's going to be successful. Now, this is a pretty small uh, company. It's on a 72 million market cap, and it's only got two years history. So there's nothing, there's not enough there to know whether they will ultimately be a survivor and a success story. Right. At the moment, they're and they obviously had a business before they listed. I, well, I assume they did. Yep. Um, they're uh, negative uh, 6% ROE at the moment. So it means they're losing money in their sales growth. You know, well, they've only had two years, so I can't put even a graph on it. So the first year went down, then it's jumped up uh, in the last year. So way too early to be able to make anything intelligent. But at the moment, uh, I would say too, too hard and I would wait to see what happens. So okay. if you're interested in the area, and I think it is an interesting area, wait to see who the winners are going to be. Then there's still plenty to run after they, that it comes out. Yeah. Once we establish who is going to dominate an area, it doesn't mean yeah. they're then maxed out. Then you usually have years of good yeah. growth. Think Apple. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so, a, to Scott's point earlier, the buy now, pay later. Oh, yes. <laughs> growth. Yeah, so right. many around, now it's all being whittled down. To the so if you want to start a new business now, what are you going to do? Yeah. Oh, I know. Let's go into AI. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Scott? 
And there'll be something next too, by the way, after that one. Yeah, quantum <laughs> computing. Quantum computing is going to exactly. be Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, this one reminds me a little bit of Apple, you know, and it's kind of it, both has a cautionary tale and a sense of excitement. When the market runs really hot on stuff, Apple was a $40 stock in August 2020, now less than $3, um, some, what, two, two and a half, or, uh, two, yeah, two and a bit years later. Um, the challenge for these sort of companies, they, they tell a good story, right? And it's always, it's always, hope always springs eternal. Every now and again, one of these great story stocks does well. Someone once said, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm going to implant a hearing device inside someone's head. It'll replace the cochlear. It'll work fantastically. Now, we would have sat here and said, well, show me when they make some profits, and then we'll talk about it. Now, had we done that and then waited for the profits and then bought the shares, we still would have done really, really well, which is both the opportunity and the risk with this sort of stuff. It is super exciting. Everyone wants to jump in on the bottom floor, get in before the money's made, all that kind of stuff. Now, AI captioning, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, if, the, the Appen example I bring up because the question was, will humans be required to help the computers learn or will the computers learn by effectively teaching themselves? And generally speaking, I think the bet, AI speaking of which, is the computers will learn and teach themselves. Is there a proprietary technology that survives that trend? YouTube's already doing its own captioning, right, based on what it's hearing and then mm. turning into uh, turning into text. Mm. Do we need a a private business using proprietary technology, software, people, all that kind of stuff? Or do you say, well, they're going to be effectively open source style or simply ubiquitous alternatives yeah. to this sort of stuff? Now, maybe the context of the supplier-customer relationship is important here. If you want to use someone's specific technology, then you will. But at some point, the providers and the customers are going to say, well, hang on, we can get it over there for cheap or over there for cheap or over there for better. Why would we use your services? And again, I'm not suggesting that will be the case, but if you don't know that it won't be the case, then you ask yourself, how big is the risk I'm taking by buying shares in a business like yep. this? Now, every, every business has got risk. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you avoid everything that maybe possibly could go wrong. But you look and say, in such a fast-changing area where everyone is fighting for the same sort of outcomes, are these guys likely to survive as either the winner or a winner in this space? And again, you don't have to know the answer is no. You just have to know the answer is I don't know. And in which case, uh, yep. speculating for the sake of it doesn't make any sense. So, yep. yeah, look, you know... I, I love these businesses, right? A lot of them will be successful. I hope they are, and I hope they change the world and make things better for everybody. It's not a case of being a downer on the company. But our job is to say, if I put a dollar in there, will I get more than a dollar back at some future time? And will the gain be large enough to make it worth my while taking the risk? And if you don't know, if you're not sure, you don't have a high probability assessment of that, then you simply say, good luck. I hope they do well, but not with my money. And that's yeah. the case for me with AI. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. All right. Uh, something a bit more stable. Um, Scott <laughs> Kenny. Kenny wants a view on Coles. They've reported this morning a bumper half-year profit um, up seventeen uh, percent on uh, sales, up four percent as well. They're changing chief executives, um, um, promoting from within. Uh, interim dividend thirty-six cents a share. Um, what do you think of uh, of Coles? I'll tell you what, mate. It's not a good time to be a bank, an oil company, or a supermarket and delivering bumper profits, is it? Given given the inflationary pressures around and the, uh, the the attention everyone's paying to how much am I paying at the supermarket? And when they say, well, we're just passing on the higher costs from our suppliers, we can't do much about it, and then profits go up seventeen percent. You uh, you wonder how much public pressure they're going to get. Yeah. Which is not to say they're not entitled to make as much money as they can, by the way, at least purely capitalistically. So that that's their call to make, and I'm not going to say they're wrong to do it, but. I'll tell you what, you look at that and people saying, well, hang on, how much am I paying for, for bread and milk and, and baked beans at my local Coles at the moment? Um, really good result for Coles. Very, very strong result. Much better than I thought they would do, quite honestly. Um, if you're a supermarket retailer where there's a duopoly, throw in, Cole, uh, throw in Aldi, Costco and a couple others and say, that's the market, 
and you can still find growth of 17%, that is a really, really good result. And the executives there are to be commended for what's an excellent set of numbers. Um, whether it's sustainable, whether it'll be public pressure, how long you can do it is a different question. Also worth noting, we are seeing some, this is not so much about the company per se, although it matters, um, a move towards private label. Now, private label tends to be more profitable uh, for these guys, yeah. at least on a percentage basis, than the branded product. So as we trade down, as much as we look at the top line and say, well, that'll hurt sales revenue, and it probably does per unit sold, it actually tends to make more money for, for Coles and Woolies. And part of that story is exactly that. That's what's helping to drive that profit higher. I, I like the business. It's doing a, a really nice job. I like both Woolies and Coles, by the way. They're super high-quality businesses. I uh, probably prefer Woolies given the choice. Right. Uh, my problem at the moment for me is price. 23 times earnings, 3.6% fully frank dividend yield. They can't keep growing at 17%. If they could, this, that, that price would be very much worth, worth paying. Okay. Um, it's just not, I mean, I guess anything's possible. If there's a cozy duopoly, maybe they both price up, maybe they both make a fortune forever. But it'd be a gutsy call to believe a supermarket whose customers are the population growing at a couple of percent a year. Um, inflationary pressure is going to push the reported sales up, yep. not necessarily reported profits. Very hard for me to justify a, a, a profit growth right. that can deliver so a market a hold it, you're in it? of 24. Yeah. I'd actually sell it, mate. Honestly, it? I think okay. yeah. I, I don't think it's. I mean, well, if you <coughs> sell Woolies you as well, probably own it because you like a. Yeah, I think so, mate. I mean, okay. yeah, if you hold, you probably like the dividend. You probably like the stable company, and for the reasons people, have, you know, as always, if you bought it for a specific reason, it's still fulfilling that purpose. Then, by all means, keep it. My job is to say, is it going to beat the market or not? I don't yeah. think it will, and I think it'll probably lag the market with a high enough co- okay. probability that it's worth selling and buying something else. Right. Completely agree. And the PE is what kills it because Coles is obviously not going yeah. anywhere. It's a solid business yeah. and it is a it is a duopoly, but it has no EPS growth rate. So you've got 17% in the last half report, but for the last six years, it's been closed attack. Right. So there was no growth at all. It's not right. even inflation growth. Right. So you bear that in mind. Okay. So they're going backwards yep. in, in real terms. And yet, uh, and so what that means is the PE of 23, as Scott mentioned, means your return is really low unless you can then be confident that you're going to get a 23 PE in, say, five years' time. Right. And I would say that's a pretty brave assumption. We're showing it returning on our default settings, which is the more generous ones, of negative 4.5% a year. So wow. that means if you bought Coles today at that PE, based on its performance and yep. what it's been tracking at, you're going to lose 4% a year. And that's without PE contraction. Right. Now the, remember, we've got inflation, we've got interest rates are higher, and these PEs, particularly for these companies that have <clears throat> no growth or very little growth, there's no way they can justify a 23 PE. Right. It's actually should be about a 12. Right. And therefore, the buy price for this, if you wanted to get a 10% return, which I would say would be the minimum, particularly in our inflator in, with a 5 or 6% inflation rate, uh, is $9. Okay. Which means you've got to buy it for right. half what it is now. Now, yeah. will it go down to $9? It could absolutely go down to $9. It's not going to go down to $9 without a catalyst. But if we have a market route or something, yeah. it could easily, and then it could reset there, and that would be probably a logical level. So if you're, you're in it, and you so have a good run sell. Oh, absolutely. It's not your profits. I think, I, think, I think there's a mismatch at the moment with these low growth, really high PE stocks that are right. a time bomb. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right, good warning. Uh, Lim wants a view, Mark, on Stockland. The big uh, shopping centre group, uh, similar thing to the retailers. Do you put, do you put, sort of the big shopping centre groups in in the same no. bucket as retailers? No, not really. I think the REITs are a different business model because right. I mean, they're landlords, yeah. effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, uh, as uh, as you know, we don't invest in REITs typically. Part of the problem is that they um, they're quite opaque, yeah. and they're very difficult to really understand. And the other problem is they 
they change their cap rate, so the, the return, they can revalue the property. So a lot of their pro alleged profit is not cash profit, uh, it's revaluation profit. Right. And that can also go into reverse, because right. Stockland's obviously big in retail, yep. and whether, whether they'll get rental growth and be able to maintain their valuations, it could go easily into reverse. Right. The other problem is that most of these REITs are on um, very high, well, relatively high PEs. I'll just have a look and see what they are. Oh, this is 4.1, okay, so, so I can't argue that it's on a high PE. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, it does pass our filters, yeah. And we're showing it returning 8.9 on a margin of safety and about 40% on our default. Uh, but that assumes everything stays the same and it continues forward. Uh, valuations can easily go the other way, as I said, so I wouldn't like it right. as okay. an investment. But it, from the numbers, they look pretty good. And I'm not sure what the dividend is. I imagine it pays out a, um, it pays out a good dividend. Uh, oh, the payout ratio is 6.8% yield, but the payout ratio is only 27.9%. Right. And that's been going down, but six point eight percent yield is pretty good. Yeah, the yeah. four the four PE is good. I haven't I haven't looked at it, so I'll be interested to see what Scott thinks. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark is Mark is right, and I think what I what I have done is looked at some of the numbers. And if you look back at the earnings over the last ten years, two things stand out. So the last the, the year before last, or the, the last year they reported was twenty twenty two. So I'll come back to that one. In twenty twenty one, they earned thirty four cents a share. That's exactly the same as they earned per share back in two thousand and seventeen. Right. So fundamental business hasn't improved. In fact, earnings were reasonably flat, bounced around, but over that over that nine year period. Last year, earnings went from thirty four cents to ninety six cents. They in fact tripled. Now, the P I've got here is nine times. So whichever number you use, the four or the nine, it looks inexpensive. And it probably is if that level of earnings is sustainable. <laughs> but if you triple earnings in one year after going nowhere for the previous nine, I think the the, the generally skeptical or just maybe um, uh, you know, a thoughtful investor might say, you know what, there's probably a better chance it goes back to where it was and stays at this elevated level. Now, maybe it does stay at that level, and in which case it would be a, a really cheap business to buy. I think you could make a very good case for that, although um, if you then decline even slowly from this point, you still might end up losing money. But the key question for investors is, is the last year, the 2022 year, at triple, almost triple the previous year, likely to be the future, or was that an unusual level of profit? If you go back and then say, well, actually, maybe it goes back to where it was, those PEs triple by definition if the, if the profit falls by two thirds. So that's the key question for investors is how sustainable is the currently or the, the most previously reported earnings as an indication of future? I don't love REITs uh, for kind of similar ish reasons to Mark. Broadly speaking, though, I, I, you know, the, the way these things are structured is if you buy them roughly at book value, as you probably should if you're buying property, because there's no point paying more than it's worth. So you buy it at book value. What do you get as a return? Well, you get the rental yield. You might get some development profits if you're lucky. You might get some management fees if they manage some money on someone else's behalf. But generally speaking, add those together. The best they can generally do unlevered is about the market return, probably less, right. honestly, over time. Okay. Very unlikely that yield plus development profits equals the growth of the market over an extended period of time without leverage. Now, you can use leverage, you can use it well, you can use it wisely, or as we saw with Centro back in the GFC, it can bring you <laughs> almost entirely undone. So. I don't want to buy property that's leveraged. I mean, that's what we do yep. as a country, right? So maybe I'm unusual here, but it's just a, it's a very difficult case to make that the fundamental underlying business is driving the returns rather than the financial structure that goes around it. If I was going to buy a, a REIT, um, I would, we like Goodman Group, largely because it's actually only partly a REIT. It's about 20% REIT and 80% management company, yep. uh, effectively a funds manager or an asset manager. So they're, they're, a very, they're actually not really even a REIT realistically. So yep. when I say that's my favorite REIT, that's why. Um, Otherwise, I'd probably go to something like a center group because I think the Westfield 
centres or maybe um, the business was known as shopping centres Australasia, now it's called region, I think, from memory. Those businesses have pretty sticky customer bases. The stuff in the middle, I wouldn't touch. The office stuff looks too risky to me. Bulky goods retail is probably the only other place I'd go. But, hmm. you know, no, yep. I, Stockland, Not I have you. no, again, if, if earnings stay higher, then yes, but who knows? Yeah. Um, so no, not, not for me, not at this point. Okay. Uh, Gary wants to know, Scott, whether uh, uh, childcare centres uh, would be on your shopping list. He wants a view on G8 Education and 450 childcare centres. Don't own the properties, uh, mm-hmm. but operate them and obviously dependent on government subsidies, which uh, yeah. childcare is a, a boat winner at the moment. It really is. Let me start with no, but. So I'm going to say it's a sell. If you look at the last, I think, seven years of earnings, earnings have fallen sequentially every single year for that period of time. And it's a reminder, by the way, if you're looking at any company whose profits have fallen and saying, oh, they'll bounce back, uh, maybe, maybe next year, maybe the year after, maybe the year after. Well, G8 still, seven years later, hasn't managed to do that. Now, they have a new CEO and managing director. And those are always, particularly underperforming businesses, always worth watching. Now, Buffett has a great saying that normally when you get a, a reputation, a management with a reputation for brilliance and a business with a reputation for poor economics, it's the business's reputation that remains intact. So maybe that's uh, worth thinking about. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But also, here's the thing. G8 reported occupancy of 71%, which is diabolically low. It's effectively only two out of three potential places have been taken up. Now, at that level, like any business that relies on, I mean, this is almost, it's not exactly, but it's almost an infrastructure business, right? Because your costs are relatively fixed, even as the, the lessee of those properties. You've got to do certain amounts of paperwork, staffing, food, preparation, yeah. all that, the, the stuff that goes into it, if they added another 20% occupancy to those to those places, your, your costs would go up very, very, very marginally as a percentage of revenue. And that's where all the money's made. It's a bit like an airline, right? If you, if you run an airline at 71% capacity, yeah. you lose a squillion dollars. If you run it at 93% capacity, you make a fortune. Trying to, yeah, that balance is, is the key. So I'm gonna say, no, I would sell G8 despite the share price falls, but a little bit like I said earlier, two things to watch here for G8. Firstly, can management turn this thing around? Are they showing signs of it being done? Doesn't make it risk-free, by the way, but have a look for that. The second is if they can find a way through government policy, as you say, mate, or, or other ways, to get that occupancy up and ticking upwards over time, this thing goes from pretty unattractive <coughs> to pretty attractive pretty quickly. Mm. So I will I will keep an eye on this one. It'll probably never be a high-quality business. It'll probably never be one, in my view at least, I see what Mark says, uh, but uh, it'll be one that for, for a long-term hold. Yep. But it is one that if you saw the right things going in the right direction and it still remained reasonably cheap because the market simply hadn't regained that faith, there yep. might be an opportunity to hold okay. it for a medium length of time and make a bit of money. Okay. Uh, Mark, the one-year chart looks really good to turn up and then you look at it with the five-year <laughs> and it's basically a little blip. Well, I'm looking at a 10-year and they did well for the first three years up to 2015 mm-hmm. and then since then... It's uh, the average growth rate has been negative twenty five point six percent per year. So that's, that means they're losing. Yeah, it? it's, it's, that is massively bad, and it's very consistent. It's eighty two percent consistent. Now mm. we love consistency because consistency helps us forecast the future. Yeah. you're based on what you've done. So the consistency of this says that they're going to continue losing money unless, as Scott said, the new CEO blah 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 can turn it around. Yeah. So okay, turnaround story. And you, seeing we're quoting Buffett, yeah, Buffett says, uh, if you've got a turnaround story, don't bother telling me about it because I don't have time. From our experience, they very rarely turn. Right. And, and it's true. Yeah. And the return on equity is now uh, 4%. It's miserable. And yeah. it's on a 43 PE as well. So the market is still holding out. Wow. Which is absurd. It's clearly absurd. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're going, well, 
I'm hoping it's going to turn around and they're going to get their occupancy up and the new CEO. You know, it's a new story, yes. fresh story, yeah, 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 yeah. and it'll turn around. They've got a long way to go, okay. haven't they? And if you look at the, I can't even calculate. Oh, sorry. The return, our conscious investor reckons you're going to lose 32% a year. No, That's the on. worst one I've looked at for a long time. Yeah. That is a profitable business. Okay. And it's a triple rep, all bad. All right. Okay. So it's a sell. Uh, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks. Stocks of the day, uh, BHP, a hold from Scott, a no from Mark. Johnsling, the same, a hold from Scott, a no from Mark. Uh, Bubs, a sell from uh, Scott, but keep it on your watch list. If any signs of turnaround? Uh, a no from Mark. AI Media, a no from both. A sell from both on Coles. Uh, Stockland, a no from both. Um, Scott says, look, if you're looking for a quasi-REIT, uh, look at look at Goodman. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and G8 Education, a sell from both as well. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy growth fund as picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, the latest committee meeting is live on the platform at the moment and in that meeting in February. Um, they removed Aristocrat and JB Hi-Fi, added Paradigm and New Century Resources, which um, received a takeover offer today and I think is up 30 or 40%. Sell it. Um, so that's good timing. Uh, plus they increased the weighting in BHP, CSL and Boss Energy, keeping 10% in uh, cash since the 1st of March last year, up mm. 13%. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, we've got a subscriber survey that we've been sending out to you and it is on the platform now. Uh, if you can complete it, gives us an idea of what you want on Ausbiz into the future. And we've got some great prizes on offer as well. So it's our annual survey, find out what to find out what you like and to give us your thoughts on Ausbiz and what we can do better. Uh, this half hour, uh, Pentanet uh, Shaver Shop, Vectian Technology, Horizon Oil, and LaVisa. Um, Scott, Steve, wants to be on Pentanet, um, the um, um, telecommunications group, uh, internet service provider um, to residential commercial com companies, but also has a niche in gaming as technology as well. Yeah, and, and look, this is a really tough one. I, the, the easy answer is no, unless you're particularly, you know, you want to have a speculative punt on something. It's a 45 odd million dollar business. It's not making any money. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty easy pass for me. With, with I guess, the, the, the comment that the cloud gaming thing you mentioned, Koshi, is going to be the future of gaming more broadly. Now, we, um, we're all, we, back in the old days, everything was done on a PC, right? Along come people like Zero in the cloud accounting space, um, plenty of others at Google Docs, plenty of others that do this now, um, where you actually use someone else's server, you type the stuff in, get stored and, and saved there and return yeah. to you. That's the whole idea of the cloud. Cloud is getting more used and more useful uh, based on what you can do. And I used a, a version of Excel over the cloud a million years ago, and it was clunky. You'd, wait, you'd, send, the, you'd send the keystroke yeah. and go to Melbourne, come back, <laughs> and it was just terrible, right? Absolutely terrible. The benefit of the, the HTML improvements and everything else mean this is 
seamless now. You can do a share of Google Doc. I, I do all my work in Google Docs at the moment, for example. Um, super, super easy. Cloud gaming is probably the next frontier on this one. And it's designed specifically to do things like slow down or remove the lag. If you're playing a, a first-person shooter, you're playing online against someone else, three of us were playing Call of Duty or something else, I shot you and your computer froze, you'd have no chance. You get shot, you'd, by the time it refreshed, you wonder what happened. Um, Pentanet's trying to, with a whole lot of other people overseas, by the way, um, fix this problem. Basically do this, the gameplay on their servers, just showing you the screen. Effectively the same kind of idea, cloud computing for gaming. I'm sure it's going to be a massive, massive deal, mate, because removal of lag is, is everything when it comes to online gaming. The online gaming market is enormous, measured in the billions of dollars. So it's absolutely the next frontier. Whether Pentanet, as a small local Aussie ISP can have a meaningful part of that or whether they simply are one of those proof of concept ideas. Remember Quick Flicks, uh, that were, funnily enough, also based in WA from memory, that went that went by the wayside because we didn't have the local speeds, it didn't quite work. Netflix got big quickly yeah. and basically just took its business away from it. I'm the far from convinced Pentanet is the answer. So it's one of those situations, I think the trend is right. I think as an investor, you can get the trend right. It doesn't mean you get the right company. And even if you get the right company, doesn't mean you're going to make a buck. So very, there's a, there's a chance that Pentanet is a winner from this. I think there's a much, much bigger chance that their idea is successful. Pentanet may not be the company that brings it to fruition and probably, in my view at least, doesn't make that much money for shareholders. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, I agree with all that. And uh, we're agreeing too much tonight, today, Scott. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> um, but I, agree, I totally agree with you on this one. It's also only been listed for two years. This is a area of the big players. And what yep. happens is you get companies like, they can be, you can be um, entrepreneurial and come up with a way of solving a problem. Okay, you do that, yep. so which they've done. And then what about Amazon and Microsoft and Facebook and all these guys who've got massive, massive capacity for processing and so on when someone solves a problem they just absorb it yep. and do it and do it too so I, I just think that there's a little uh, a little startup this is this has only been listed for two years it lost 23% of its capital last year yep. so it's burning burning its money yep. which means it's very quickly you're gonna have to come back to shareholders I would I would expect uh, to raise more money can even survive in a market dominated by the the uh, gorillas, yep. who are actually not, and they're, they're quick gorillas. They're not like they're the big. old Telstra gorilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they're, 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 they don't muck around. And no. look at look at Zuckerberg with Facebook with all his Meta verse. What do you think the issues are with that for processing? Yeah, yeah with the yeah. Metaverse, that's probably yeah. Yeah, that's probably even well, it's the same sort of challenges we're talking about with gaming, I guess. But but uh, there's massive resources going into this, and and these guys can afford to just wipe out any small players with their way they price. And the other one listed is Playside Studios, isn't it? Which uh, uh, does gaming for some of the big brands in America and its share prices dived as well for those same yeah. reasons. I think you'd be brave to play this one. Yep. Um, look, uh, Richard wants a view, Mark, on Shaver Shop. Must admit, when at first listen, I thought, what the hell are you doing listing a shaver business? <laughs> but again, it keeps delivering. And today, uh, it's given an earnings update for the half year, uh, record sales uh, and, and gross profit um, is up, did them 4.7 cents, margins are higher and the outlook seems all right too. Um, how does it come up on your filters? Uh, good. <laughs> so, no, no, no. So, I, so, no, do you reckon, because yeah. if someone said, we've yeah. got a listed company 
that is going to be a retailer that sells shavers, you yes. go, why would you be bothered? But yeah, I think they're in the continuity business as well, though, you know, where they sell, you know, they deliver. Don't they deliver yeah. the blades and stuff as well? Yeah, I yeah. think they're doing that, which is the Gillette model. Yeah. So it's not just a, you know, a typical specialist yeah. retailer, but look, yeah. it's, it's performed really well. We have yes. looked at it from time to time. It's only a, about 158 million market cap, so it's still pretty small, but it does pass all our, our uh, filters, I've got to say. And we're showing it returning 22% a year um, huh. on our default and about 11 on a margin of safety. So that's pretty good. Uh, it's on, in the red for the PE, but the PE is 9.5. And to oh. get in the green, which is the bottom quartile, the red's the top quartile is 7.2. So, right. And that's before the announcement of their earnings update. Right. So yeah. it's actually pretty, it's, it's not a lot of risk in that because their earnings growth rate has been 17% over the last six years. So it's actually average. So it's actually yep. got good stability. Sales growth is about 9%, so not as high, but really stable. Yeah, It's a good business. Uh, yeah. And I'd say it's a buy. Really so we, we haven't had anything that I could say is a buy today. So right. I'll, put it, I'll put a buy on okay. this one. Um, Scott, what do you think of Shaver Shop? After Mark Warrington's disagreement, then making Shaver Shop a buy, I find myself conflicted because I was also going to say a buy. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> because being being honest is more important than disagreeing with Mark. Yeah, I'm yeah. Too just, too just, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll lock that one in. Right, look, here's the thing. Mark's done a great job. I, I agree with you, Koshi. It's one of those great Australian things where you can have this tiny little niche of a thing and yes. just somehow make a, make a buck out of it. Um, you're right. If someone said yoga shavers, like, why would you do that? Do something bigger. Do something. You know, how can you get enough scale just selling shavers? The answer is you can, and that's kind of it's kind of those little you know, health electronic devicey things that kind of the bathroom devices. Um, there's there's plenty of business there, I suppose. I'm I'm still surprised it's so big. I wonder how frequently we're replacing our, our shavers, but apparently fairly regularly. Um, a couple of so a couple of things. I think this is what Mark mentioned in the program. He's dead right. There are a lot of retailers available at really cheap prices right now, and it kind of goes like this: Hey, maybe there's a recession. Hey, we just had a great period with COVID. Retail could be tough. Let's sell all the retailers now. That seems to I, I, I think Coles and Woolies, we've already talked about them being yes. uh, marks at time bomb. I think I agree with the, the risk there. A, I, I'm going to say the average retail P at the moment, excluding those guys, is probably what? 9, 10, 11, maybe mm. max? If, you, yeah. if you're waiting to think about JB, Harvey Norman, <coughs> Adairs, Adore Beauty, um, your Shaver Shop, you, you throw a blanket over them, I reckon, at a P of, of under 10. Mm. So take that group. I own some of those, by the way, for full disclosure. I don't own the Shaver Shop. Uh, as a group, I reckon they've been massively, massively oversold. I think when sentiment gets carried away and says there might be a recession, there might be an economic downturn, therefore discretionary retail is terrible, I think that's a great opportunity generally to buy. And if I could buy a basket of these mm -hmm. and say I'm going to buy every retailer under a P of under 10, yeah. I'm going to do very, very well in three or five years' time. Doesn't mean prices can't go lower first, right? So because it's all sentiment, because people are looking at it saying, well, maybe things get worse. Maybe they do. Maybe we have a recession. Maybe the economy turns down. Maybe we stop buying shavers for a little bit of time and sales mm. fall for the shaver shop next year. And people say, oh, sir, I told you I was right. The share price halves again, whatever it does. I don't, maybe it doesn't, by the way. Maybe there's no recession. Maybe sales go up because you can't guess. You can't know. So broadly, though, if I go out to 2027, 2028, 2029 and say, if I look back to early 2023 and say, wasn't the shaver shop always going to have a business? Wasn't JB Hi-Fi always going to be the premier yeah. retailer in the electronics space? Etc. Etc. And you go, well, yeah, probably. Okay, well, aren't they going to make more money in 2027, 20, 8, 9? Yeah, probably. Are people going to pay higher PEs because they're not worried about the recession anymore? Yeah, probably. And if you do the maths of a higher profit at a higher PE, that gives you higher share prices. Yeah. So I, 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 I completely agree with Mark, both about the shaver shop in particular, but also about this kind of beaten down retail in general. Yeah. I really do think we'll look back and say it was a great fund to buy. So, uh, Mark, Morland just said retail is the best area in the market for, at the for, for getting a reliable, yeah. high-dividend, 
having okay. low risk on PE uh, going down right. and future conscious, and capital gain. Conscious of time, mm. your top three retailers, <laughs> there are a lot of them. Oh, well, you know what they are. So yeah, JB Scarly, JB Hi-Fi, Hi-Fi. Nick Scarly and uh, AX1 or Super Retail Group, they're all, they're all good. Scott, what's your top three? Yeah, super, super Retail, JB and Harvey, I'll say. Okay. Uh, Baby Bunting got a good rap yesterday as mm. well um, through its um, change of executive and the share price being pounded. Um, Scott, Matt wants a view on Viction Technology. They're in virtual reality and uh, augmented reality. What do you think of mm-hmm. uh, Vection? <laughs> we just finished talking about tech and all the, the cool story stuff. Is there anything cool in AI yeah. in augmented <laughs> reality, isn't it, Koshi? Um, should say, by the way, I do like baby bunting as well, so add that to my list of, not the top three, but I like it. Um, again, story stock stuff, right? These are, these are great businesses with great uh, aims and objectives, Ooh, trying nice. to do wonderful things. Illiquid. Trying to make yeah. a lot of money, trying to invent new technology and sell it to the market. Um, you said in the interest of time, mate, so let me just be very clear. This is a story stock. I can't, I'm not saying it can't go up because market might get excited about this. Sentiment can do a lot, of, particularly these sort of stocks. I took, mentioned Appen before. If a stock can go from two to 40 and back to two, there's not a lot of business operations driving that result, right? This is just pure excitement, exuberance, and, and then fear. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I, this, could, this could go up 10x between this time now and next year, or it could fall, drop by, by 90%. It, it literally, sentiment will drive those things. What you want to do is if you're an investor, look at the underlying business. Yeah. There is no profit for this company yet. It's trying to do some cool stuff. Again, I hope it's successful because a great little Australian tech company doing well is what we all like to see. There's just not enough evidence to suggest it's mm. a buy right now. So okay. I don't know how many people own it. If I did own it, I'd sell it. Be a little bit careful. That chart you saw is very indicative, generally speaking, of low liquidity. In other words, yeah. low volumes being bought and sold. I haven't checked it, so don't trap my word for it. But if you do own them, you are going to sell them or if you're going to buy them. Just be very careful um, mm. that the price doesn't gap around on you when you're trying to buy and sell just because if it is a low liquidity stock, uh, you may struggle to get in and get out in any sort of reasonable time frame. Okay, Mark? Um, yes, I agree with all that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is it's got six years, six years of history, and it's losing about 15% a year. So right. if you look at their, their revenue, their revenue is only 18 million a year, and they're losing about four and a half million a year right. uh, operationally for, on that. Okay. So that's not, that's not encouraging. So right. it's also, when you've got a company with these low market caps, and we've had lots of them today that are really low, yeah. uh, 50 million, you've got a real problem because the frictional costs of being a listed, publicly listed company with auditors and all the mm. stuff you've got to go through and all the insurance, all the governance. Stuff, it is yep. really expensive. Yep. So it's a massive impact. I would argue that below 100 million, it's really hard to see how Why you, you can justify it unless you've got an enormously profitable business with uh, you know, fabulous growth uh, chances. Okay. All right, yeah. uh, two stocks to get through, not much time. Um, La Visa is the final stock, which we should spend a bit of time at. Horizon Oil is the one in between oil exploration in Southeast Asia and uh, China. Um, can we get through that quickly? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it actually looks, looks pretty good. The stability of earnings is all, a bit over the, all over the shop, you know, so it's not, it's not stable enough for us, <laughs> so it doesn't pass. But it is showing uh, pretty good numbers. It's got 24% return on equity and they don't, they've right. got no debt. Market cap about 293 million, 10 years history. So it actually looks pretty good. And you know, it's obviously a bet on uh, yeah, oil, oil and so on, which you know, that's a thematic thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. we're showing it returning um, up to 41% on default, oh. which is good, and uh, 7% on safety. But you know, as I said, the stability is not good enough and you're totally dependent on what happens with energy prices. Yeah. Uh, and you look at that liquidity there from uh, the chart, Scott? Not a fan, Koshi, you won't be surprised to hear. No. I don't love oil companies, generally speaking. I don't buy them, I've never, don't think I've ever owned them. Um, 
Yeah, you're absolutely punting. Again, if you want to put risk reward, I've said this a million times, you want to buy them when the commodity price is as close to the marginal cost of production as you can get. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't doesn't mean you can't lose money. It just means that the upside is much bigger than the downside. And when you think about probabilities, if you make enough of those plays, you should come out ahead over time. So there would be a time and a place for that sort of stuff. Uh, That time and place is not now. The oil price is relatively high. The other problem with oil price, I've said a million times, is the OPEC deal means they can simply just change the dynamic of the pricing market literally at the flick of a switch. Um, yeah. And so you're betting against those guys or with those guys, whatever you're doing it, you're betting on what they might or might not do. It's, it's crapshoot. I, I wouldn't, okay. uh, you know, again, there'd be a time right. I might buy them, but it's rare and few and far between. Okay. Uh, talk about retailers. The last stock to have a look at is La Visa. In June, it was 15 bucks. Uh, today, it is 24 um, Brett Blundy is uh, the biggest shareholder in La Visa. It's in sort of good value. I was going to say cheap, but good value jewellery. Um, <laughs> you see them in department stores. Um, Scott, are you a fan of La Visa at these levels? We used to call it uh, costume jewellery. Costume yes, nowadays is cool. Yeah, it's right. like fast fashion jewellery. It always it always yep. sounds fast fashion. <laughs> that's uh, better, mate. So uh, yeah, cautiously. I, I hope we're going. I'm just going to disagree with Mark here. If we can, we'll get one disagreement out. Uh, yeah, cautiously. I'm, I'm a speculative buyer on Lavisa, mm. and the reason is because the growth has been <coughs> astonishing, uh-huh. and I think it can continue for quite a while to come. If you buy a mature business, you want to know that it has a big moat that it can compete against. You know, potential. Uh, newcomers and defend its turf. If you're buying a growing business, eventually you have to make a decision about where and when it matures. But while it's growing, all it kind of needs to do, I say all as if it's easy, all it kind of needs to do is continue that growth trajectory. Now, the CEO is hugely, hugely incentivized to grow this business globally. And I think that's, again, it's not the only uh, not the only option, but as they say, I think it's the Charlie Munger quote, we'll mix up our uh, Berkshire Hathaway quotes. Show me the incentive, I will show you the outcome. I think there's a very, very good chance Lavisa's store rollout growth continues for quite a while to come. P of 36 times is stupidly high for any retailer usually, but if it can continue that growth mm. it's been able to achieve in the US and Europe, hoping to move into Asia at some point, uh, then it comes down pretty quickly and this could go meaningfully better. Now, it also could stall, fall in a heap and fall over. Uh, maybe a coming recession or, or a current recession in the US potentially does harm its business. Maybe the rollout is not as successful as I expect it might be. Maybe there aren't that many opportunities for increased numbers of stores in some of those markets. But I think they've proven the model. I think the overseas expansion is going reasonably well thus far. And I think if you, again, we talk about cheap retailers, it's an expensive retailer. Yes. But I think there's a, I, if I've got a frame of market, I think the odds are good that it succeeds okay. from here. Not guaranteed. It is speculative, as I said. There is no downside protection here. The PE goes back to 12 and you're going to nurse a, a two-thirds loss, right? So this is high stakes investing. But I do think there's a very good chance it can grow the store right. footprint and justify the current price. Okay, yeah, uh, Mark, you were talking about your favourite retailers before. All PEs less than ten. Yeah, this is forty. Yeah, I know, I know. And now oh, you've got to admit, I, Brett, Bund, Brett Blundy is a genius. Yeah, and, he and uh, one of the reasons, I, the reason I invested in AX One was when he put a hundred million into it. Right. You know, right. so that that was for me. So I'm. I actually put a lot of weight on CEOs and key people right, and so on. Yeah. So that that so I agree with Scott in that that this has a lot of potential. But it's an international business. There's a lot yeah. to like about it. But the PEs have been very very high uh, for a long time. And if you actually look at the trading range on it, it's quite big every yeah, year. Yeah. This is this is a company that mm. has a fifty percent range every year. Every right. year. So okay. I would argue, and, I, and I, I'm not disagreeing with Scott. We're showing it returning six percent mm-hmm. a year on default, which is. Mid very like on the low end. It's not yeah, good. Yeah. Um, and I would say if you look at it from a 
how much should you pay for it? If I want to get 10% on a margin of safety, which is the least I would want, I'd have a target price of $13.47. Wow. Now, that's feasible, though, because if I look at the last... Well, it was uh, in June. Yeah. Was yeah, well, if you look at, if you look at the uh, each year, it literally the PE range is 20 to 50. Oh, that's interesting. So, so it just means that if you do want to invest in it, you just wait till it's down in the bottom range. Yeah, it yeah. happens every year. Don't rush. You don't, don't do it now. Okay. So if you're in it, hold mm. it, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Scott Phillips from um, Motley Fool. Great to have you on board as usual, Scott. Thanks so much for your time. Mark Morland from Team Invest, likewise. Pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, fun. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's recap the final five stocks. Pentanet, a no from both. Shaver Shop, a buy from both. Um, Selvectian Technology, Horizon Oil, a no. LaVisa, a speculative buy from Scott and a hold from Mark Waite for it to come back down as it always does each year. Um, that's it for us. If you've got any stocks you'd like me to put to our expert panels, of course, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Remember to complete our subscriber survey. Uh, plus the last call is this Friday as well, the last Friday of the month. More market news, so much news. Uh, around at the moment and earnings and if you want to keep your finger on the pulse you are right where you should be uh, more of Ausbiz after this the economy is stupid bad news good news story continues you want income a kicking idea around our attitude The Last Call is brought to you by AVL Wines. Invest in the home of Australia's premium wine, spirit and ready-to-drink cocktail brands. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.